how about we turn in our Bibles to Joshua 1.8. This is a well-known scripture, I'm sure, to most of you. And I'm going to talk today on right believing and right speaking. <laughs> and all the guilty, just don't say anything. Oh, my goodness. I've highlighted my Bible and under this light it's gone all iridescent. <laughs> so... Let's read Joshua 1.8. Here it is. This book of the law, Joshua is taken over from Moses and they're about to go into the promised land. This book of the law shall not depart from your, where? Mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Isn't that a great promise? It says, successful living requires courage and boldness. Would you not say? It requires courage and, and boldness. You know, I always say, our shrinking does not serve the world. It requires us to walk in real genuine authority and um, take dominion over your inner world, but also your outer world. And God has empowered you to speak over every situation that you come to and face in your life. He's empowered you to do that. I think sometimes we do really need courage to face things. You know, we do, we do it to our children. We teach our children courage, don't we? They come home or they don't want to go into a new situation or they don't want to go to school. Or it might be something as simple as learning to say hello to somebody that you've just met and you're teaching your child manners. You know, fr from a child's perspective, it takes courage. It takes boldness to, to um, look someone in the eye and say, Hello, how are you, Mrs. or Mr.? It takes courage in the, in the playground for a child to make new friends. You know, so if we, if we don't teach children those things early, then it's harder. We've got to learn it at some stage to be courageous and to be bold. We were created in the image of God and after his likeness. And then we were, man was given in the garden, man was given a mandate to rule and to dominate the, his world. I'm convinced that in ignorance, very often we live way beneath, way beneath what God has ordained for us. And we fail to grasp that our daily declarations and decrees have the power. They actually have the power to change the quality of your life and your destiny, ultimately. Oh, there we go. Is that better? My Bible's not shiny now. God's given us, you know, you may not have thought about this, but God says, you know, Jesus is our prophet, priest and king and we're in his body and he's given to us a kingly anointing to walk in. And that sometimes doesn't sit well with us. But Proverbs 13 verse 3 is a great promise. He says, he who guards his mouth, watches what he says, preserves his life. There's a good one. God's given us delegated authority to bring blessing into the earth. That's your job. That's our job. And um, not only do you bring it about over your own life, you bring it over then your family's life and you bring it over then in your church's life. We pray every day we declare blessing over this church. If you're a part of this church, you're under the umbrella that receives life and prophetic explosion that comes from the words that are spoken here every day. You get a, you're a part of that. You're underneath that umbrella. And um, I want to tell you a story about a man who actually heard the word 
of the Lord, but actually didn't believe it. And I was reading this the other day. I mean, it's a familiar passage um, for me. But sometimes God just highlights a new part to you, you know, and you look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, I've never seen that before. And then I got up in the middle of the night last night and I was reading Gideon and I found another bit of Gideon and I was going, oh, I want to teach that. Oh, will I do this? Don't you love it? God, you open this word. This word is the best thing. I absolutely am in love with, with the word of God because it's a light and it's life and it's, it's, it shows us how to walk and how to live. And um, you eat it, eat it every night. I get up and I read my Bible and I command my day, even before the day has started. Just started doing that. I think it's a really good idea. But um, all those people that have just been prayed for for insomnia, perhaps you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but I often get up at 1 o'clock or 10 o'clock and 3 o'clock and different times and I go, okay, Lord, what are you saying? And go and pray. Let's turn to Second Kings chapter 7. This is a great story. So I want us to understand that you're, when you have right believing and right speaking, you're going to change the destiny of your life and the lives of those around you. Maybe you might want to ask yourself today, what have I been speaking? What's happening that I don't really like in my life? And um, ask yourself the question, what am I saying? Because you are your own best preacher. Is that not true? It's either amen or oh me as I've heard a great preacher say. <laughs> Let's read 2 Kings 7. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. So here's the prophet speaking the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now this is a time of famine in Samaria and Jerusalem has been under siege and they've got no food and nothing to eat and they're dying. And so the prophet stands up and makes this declaration that God has said this. Verse 2, an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered and said, the man of God, and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? There's a bit of disbelief for you. And he said to him, Elisha said to him, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat it. Oh, there's a sobering thought. And so if this goes on and tells the story of the four leprous men, because what happens is Elisha, this, I think this is an amazing story, that Elisha spoke the word, and one prophetic declaration changed the whole economic landscape of the whole nation. Think about that for a minute. That is pretty extraordinary. One prophetic word changed the landscape of a whole nation. Your prophetic word has within it the power to change the landscape of your situation. It has that power. See what I mean? We tend to lack, we, we're living a bit under the standard, would you not say? Sometimes. <laughs> but the scepticism that this man showed caused him not to eat the fruit of it. So it behoves us to make sure that we speak 
right and we believe right. Because let's look at what happens to him down in verse 17. Because you have, I'm not going to read the whole story. You can read it for yourself. All the, the, what happened, this prophetic explosion happens in the midst of a famine and the people that weren't even near the word received the blessing and that was the four leprous men because they're sitting there saying, why sit we here? Shall we die? Let's just go and see. Maybe God will do something. Maybe we'll find something. And as they go, they get to the enemy's camp and the enemy has heard this noise and thinks the army's coming and they just flee and they leave all this food. And they're sitting there and they're going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with all this? And they said, oh, this is not right. We can't just sit here and enjoy all the blessings. We better go and take back to Jerusalem and tell them. But, um, you know, he says, this is a day of good news and we remain silent. I tell you what, there's a word for us today. It's a day of good news. Look at the blessings that you have received and we remain silent. Ooh. So verse 17, so what happens? The people all come down and they plunder the enemy's camp and it says in verse 16, Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians, and a seer of flour was sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. Just as the man of God had said who spoke when the king came down to him, so it happened, just as the man of God had spoken to the king saying, two seers of barley for a shekel and a seer of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And in verse 19 it says, Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would open, would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said it, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. Now there's a nice encouraging word for you this morning from eight, at the 8am service, isn't it? <laughs> How to cheer you up. This officer met the prophetic word with scepticism and unbelief. My question to you is that when you speak something, how do you receive it? When you hear the promises of God, do you go, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's good, that's okay for them, but, yeah, but not for me? Do you meet it with scepticism and unbelief? When God speaks a promise to you, do you take a hold of it and say, yes, that's for me? Or do you say, oh, it would be for me, but I'm not sure? Unbelief. You build, your words are the raw materials that build your destiny and they carry great power. And you know this, ships set sail and the pilot often plots a course, right? When a ship goes out, plots a course, where he's going to go, checks the calculations from time to time, just to make sure he's headed in the right direction. So probably a good idea that we plot our course in life. Now that we know Jesus, from time to time we should check, you know, do a little bit of check up from the mind up and make sure that we're on course. Adjustments can be made for storms, but I'll tell you what's wrong. Fixating on the present circumstance because we'll never arrive at the desired port of call, which is heaven. If you're constantly fixated on the state of the world, then you might just sabotage your course going forward. You know, when I teach my... my Children, I teach my grandchildren little things. I took Audrey out the other day and I, I, she's walking along um, a build-up of 
those better blocks, you know, they, they step up and it's around a little um, exercise thing down the park. So she loves to hold my hand and just walk on them and steps on them and walks around without falling off. And it's quite tricky when you're only two. We can do it. But what I've had to say to her when she was doing it the other day, she was stumbling a little bit and I said, Audrey, look out there, don't look right down here. And so she looked a bit further and of course she could walk because where you look is where you go, right? How many of you know that when you're taught how to drive a car, don't look right down where the bonnet is, right? <laughs> you look a bit further up the road and you, and you steer towards it and you get there. Well, it's the same with your words. If you're fixated on the present circumstance today, you're going to jeopardise your course for life. And you won't embrace the promises of God. We'll be looking too much at what's going on now instead of what God, where God is taking us. There's three things I just want you to understand this morning. Let's turn to Hosea 8.7. Your words are the raw material. It says this. They sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind. I'm going to stop right there. I want you to put your hand over the front of your mouth, everybody. Okay, Can, you don't sit it on your mouth, just, just like that, okay? Now, I want you to say this with me. I am blessed. All of my needs are met. I have more than enough for myself, my household, and extra left over to give others. Thank you. What can you feel? Does it feel like a breeze? Just like a bit of a little gentle breeze on your hand? That'll come back to you manifested with hurricane force. Think about that. Sow to the wind, reap the whirlwind. What's coming out of your mouth like a breeze will come back to you like a hurricane. What are you sowing? I hope you're sowing good words. See, if you're... I love, the, I love this. I was thinking about this last night. There's nothing like a critic who has himself accomplished nothing, who complains about the person who is doing something imperfectly. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's always the critic who's never done anything. We always find in churches, you know, it's the one who hasn't done it, built a church, who has very good at criticising how you should be building a church. They've never built a church. It's not as easy as you think. So being a critic is not a good idea. Because he says, if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Be careful what you say. And don't look too close. I was reading a scripture last night. I can't remember. Oh, I think I remember where it was. Oh, I just love Isaiah. Oh, my gosh. You know, God told me one day when I was standing in Bundaberg in my house, I went to go to the office. I was preparing a ladies' meeting. And as I went into the door, the Holy Ghost just said to me, Isaiah is your book. And I just went, oh, I just love Isaiah. Isaiah's my favourite book. But he talks about the conspiracy. He said, don't say a conspiracy. He goes on about it. I can't find it right now and I should not do that because I'll get myself into trouble and I'll be too far, I'll be too far out of my word. Your words are going to come back to you. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So if you say, I am blessed, then you are blessed. Tells the prophets in the Old Testament... Moses told Aaron and his priests, and he said, this is how you're going to speak to the children of Israel. Thus you shall say to them. 
See, you are your own best prophet. You say, well, that's an Old Testament prophet. But God actually says, from the ancient times, I have I not told you? Let's go to my next point. So your words are your raw material that you build with. Second thing is Isaiah 44 verse 7. I was reading this the other day, you know, and it just, I got, I've been reading Isaiah 44 for the next four or five chapters and it was just so consistent what God was saying. In verse 6, let's read there. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. I just love praying these. And who can practice as I do? Just imagine walking up and down. There is no other God like me. Who can practice as I do? Stand there. You see, we are the body of Christ. I am his voice on this earth. God is in me. He is the head. I am the body. We speak. Okay, we are one. We speak. I speak what he says. That's what we do. And he says this. Who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Ooh, I just love that. Let him declare it and set it in order for me. God is waiting for his church to set things in order. You know, it's interesting. The prophetic word goes forth out of our mouth. We set it in order. And we stand back and we go, oh, God, please do something. Please help me. Will you not answer my prayers? Why is God not doing this for me? And God says, I've already done it. You set it in order. You set it in order with your mouth. You are the prophetic voice of God in the earth. You seek your destiny and you set it in order. Don't tell me your life is a mess. Fix it with your mouth. I am blessed. Set your course. See, some of you are jeopardising your future with your mouth. We have got to say what God says. Goliath in... Um, came and taunted the children of Israel and he says, oh, give me a man. You, you're not men. He's speaking to God's people and they're all cowering. We do not serve the world by being small. And all of Israel's going, oh, oh, there's a giant. And you go, oh, I've got a giant. What am I going to do? And little David, who doesn't know any better, He's only grown half a brain, not like his brothers. And he comes up and he goes, here's this roar. See the world today, it's roaring. And all the church is going, oh, it's a conspiracy. Where is the David saying, what is that noise? And he says, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you defy the armies of the living God? Let me hear that come out of your prayer closet. It's so much better than, oh, God, help. And he goes, this is what David says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 46. Can I tell you that Goliath was dead long before he was struck with a stone and beheaded with a sword? Because this is what David says. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. That is David setting things in order. Who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. 
Isaiah 45 verse 11 says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, Ask of me the things that are to come concerning my sons and concerning the works of my hands, you command me. This is what it tells you in the Amplified Bible. It says this, Thus says the Lord Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel and his fashioner, Lord Jehovah of hosts is his name, Ask me for signs concerning my children and command me concerning the works of my hand. When did you last stand up and declare the word of God that you're going to strike the enemy with a stone and take off his head? <laughs> What's the enemy? What, what are you facing? Sickness, strife, troubles. What are you facing? It's your enemy. Isn't it about time you took off its head? Isn't it time that you set things in order? God has done all that he is going to do. He sent Jesus to die. We're about to celebrate Easter. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God says, I've done it all. Now it's your turn. You're my body. It's interesting that when um, Gideon was going out to fight and God called him and said, come on, you mighty man of valor. And he goes, oh, who, me? And he says, you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. It's very interesting, he says, as one man. I looked at that last night and I went, oh, that is interesting. You know, he's saying, with me, I'm the body. You're, uh, you're the body. I'm the head. As one man, when you unite with the word of God, when you are connected to the spirit of God in such a way, you are as one man. It's not you going out and doing the works. It's the spirit of God that does it through you. He just, he's the, he's the head. You're the body. You've just got to get in line with what God says and set things in order. God says, where are the sons of God? The whole earth is groaning waiting for the church to rise up and stop cowering. And he says, who will set things in order for me? And that brings me to my third point, which is dominion. Romans 8, 19. It's interesting, you know, I, I've preached messages about the church being the um, lightning rod of God. You know how in Singapore, I think it's Hong Kong, they get these really flash storms and lots of lightning. So they put lightning rods on the tops of buildings to protect the buildings so they won't, you know, it, it sort of takes the, the current out of the, out of the lightning and takes it down into the earth so it won't do more damage. You see, that's what the church is. We are the lightning rods of God in the earth. We absorb the wrath of God in ourselves and it's disseminated through us because of the power of the blood of Jesus. We take that. It says in the Old Testament, back where I was in Numbers, he says that the priests, of whom you are, because you are a prophet, priest and king, he says to the priests, he says, you take the wrath of God upon yourselves for the congregation so it doesn't touch the congregation. See, we bring the blessing of God. The world is a mess because the church is not doing its job. The church is about to, I believe, see the manifestation of the sons of God, but it comes when we open our mouths and set things in order. Romans 8, 19 is where I was trying to get to. Are you with me? That's it. Say, so my mouth speaks good things. That's terrible. My mouth speaks good things. It does, indeed. Thank you. Romans 8, 19. 
For consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. They're waiting in anticipation for you to manifest and bring the earth back into into alignment with God's original purpose and intent. Don't you want to do that for your own life? Are things out of order? Are things not aligned properly? God's waiting for you. Come on, set things in order. I'm waiting for you. Speak with your mouth and set things. Every word you say is pregnant with creative, regal power. Think about that. You all know Job 22, 28. I'm sure you could quote it to me. You will declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. You might be in a famine, not a physical famine. Maybe you're in a spiritual famine. Well, no good sitting there just complaining about the famine. Fix it up. Set it in order. You start saying, I am blessed. My needs are supplied according to his riches in glory. And then, you know, it's a bit like training a child. People say, oh, you know, they say that you've got to do this and train them. And um, they say, I've tried that and it didn't work. (laughs) You know how many mothers have told me that? You say, yeah, well, I tried that, you know, I won't say that word in case it gets recorded. But, you know, I've tried that, didn't work. Well, what is training? Training is work. Do do you tell some a child once and they just magically do it then for the rest of their days? You get up how many times a day, Mike? Do you have to say, "No, I have told you this." No. It's training for a reason. It's called training. God says you've got to train your mouth. Don't tell me next week you say, "Well, I did that for a week and nothing's changed." This becomes your lifestyle. This becomes how you talk. We walk in blessing. Our homes are blessed. Our children are in church serving God. Our grandchildren loving God. That's not an accident. It's we set the course with our mouth. We declare the generations are blessed. You'll do the same thing with your mouth. Speak it out of your mouth. Second Chronicles 20.20, when Jehoshaphat had a battle, what did he do? The prophet said, this is what you've got to do. Set the singers out the front. He said, if you do not believe my prophets, you will not be established. If you do not believe this promise, you will not be established. If you do not take this promise to yourself, you will not be established. You are the prophet in your own home. You are the prophet over your family. You are the prophet over your children. Don't keep saying, my children are such rotters, because that's what you're going to get, because the fruit of your mouth. You've got to say, my children love God. They serve God. My children are angels. While they're standing there going, yay! Yep, that's my angel. You are an angel (laughs) and you're going to be an angel (laughs) and I'm going to help you. (laughs) You just keep yourself on the course. You don't look there, you look out there. You see with the eye of faith what they will be and you build it in the spirit. You know, there's great stories about men and women in the Bible who ate the fruit of what they said. One of them, you can read it further on in 2 Kings chapter 8, in the story of the woman who in famine believed the prophet and she came back to the land and the king restored everything to her because she kept it 
in her mouth. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Because 1 Peter 2.19 tells me you're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And God wants you to set things in order through the words of your mouth.